Someone said this, I know this, when this ends, and it will, every game will sell out, every restaurant will have a two hour wait, every kid will be glad to be in school, everyone will love their job, the stock market will skyrocket, every other house will get teepeed and will embrace and shake hands. I think he's right. When this ends, and it will, I think we'll have a greater appreciation for God's everyday blessings. In Isaiah chapter 6, God's people were facing a crisis. Godly King Isaiah died after having led the country for 52 years. People were feeling stressed and uncertain. Isaiah wrote, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. No matter what happens, we need to remember that God is still on his throne. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. No matter what we're facing, no matter what you're facing, it's important to focus on Christ every day. And that's what I want us to do this morning. Have you ever received a wedding invitation? If you've ever received a wedding invitation, you ought to feel highly honored. Weddings are expensive. Weddings are not only expensive, but there's limited room. So if somebody invites you to a wedding, you ought to see it as the high honor that it is. In Matthew chapter 22, we read about a wedding invitation that God sent out. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1, Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. Now the king in this parable is God the Father, and his son, of course, is Jesus Christ. A certain king arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. First century weddings were different than weddings we have today. First century weddings normally had four stages to them. The first stage was the engagement. The parents of the bride and groom, they would get together and they would arrange the wedding. I know when I was young, I always thought this is a terrible idea for the parents to arrange the wedding. Many of you now that you're parents, you think that's really not a bad idea after all. But the parents would get together and they would arrange for the wedding and then they would send out invitations to all of their friends. The second stage was the addition. During the engagement period, the groom would build an addition on his parents' house. And that's where he and his bride-to-be would, would live once they were married. The third stage was the procession. Once the, the addition was finished, he would take his friends and they would proceed and they would have a huge parade and they would come to where the bride was staying and they would take her and they would have a processional and a parade and they would come back to their new house and that led to the fourth stage, which was the wedding. There'd be a, a very brief ceremony, nothing like we have today, just very brief, but then it would be followed by days and days of a party and a celebration. Recently, a woman wrote to a wedding expert, a family of five returned the RSVP card for our wedding reception, saying they'd attend, and then they didn't show up. We paid $80 a plate for the reception. Is it okay to send them a bill for $400? The wedding expert said no, but, but you can understand how this woman felt. 
They had invited somebody to the wedding. They had wanted them to be there. They had said they would be there, and then at the last minute, they just changed their mind. And that's what we find in Jesus' parable. The king sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. This invitation had gone out long before, and they, they had agreed that they would come. The king sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they weren't willing to come. It doesn't say they weren't able to come. It says they weren't willing to come. How's the father respond to this initial rejection of his invitation? Verse 4, again he sent out other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. In kindness, the Father extends another invitation. And God does the same thing with us. The Bible says the Lord isn't slow about his promise. That talks about his promised coming. The Lord isn't slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you glad that God is patient? God didn't give you just one invitation to come to his family, and if you rejected it or neglected it, say that he's done with you. God sends out invitation after invitation to everyone. When you think about it, when you come to know Christ, came to know Christ as Savior, God was probably inviting you all along the way. He was bringing people into your life. He was bringing circumstances into your life. All of these things were part of God's drawing process to draw you to himself. Verse 4, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. See, God has done everything. All you have to do is come to him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls. All you have to do is come to him. John chapter 5, Jesus said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have this life. John chapter 6, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me, that's what it means to come to Jesus. It means to believe in him. It means to trust him as your savior. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst, and whoever comes to me I'll never cast out. The father says, come to the wedding. Verse 5 says, but they made light of it. In other words, they paid no attention to it. They thought it wasn't important. They made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. How did they respond to the father's invitation? Some were indifferent. Too much to do. I've got other stuff to do. I, I don't have time for this. We find the same response to God's invitation today. Some people are too busy. In these last couple of weeks, life has taken a dramatic turn for most people. 
And my prayer is that for most people who have been on a treadmill and they have just been going and going and going and going nonstop in their lives, these last few weeks have given people a chance to, to stop and to reflect and to consider God's invitation to them. Acts chapter 24 says, A few days later, Felix came back with his wife Drusilla, who is Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. In other words, life was busy. He had other stuff to do. He was going to push God's invitation to the side. And then two years passed, and Felix was gone. And as far as we know, he never responded to God's invitation. That convenient time never came. You know, it's my prayer in these days that, 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 that people are open to the gospel and that we that know Christ will take the opportunity. People are searching for good news today, and we have the opportunity to share that with them. Some people are too busy to accept God's invitation. Others are hostile. Verse 6 says, some seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. Jesus is speaking here about how the Jewish people treated the prophets, specifically how the religious leaders treated the prophets. The prophets came with God's invitation to, to, to come to God. And the religious leaders treated them spitefully, and they killed some of them. Verse 7, when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. That's exactly what happened in 70 A.D., in 70 AD, the Roman general Titus came to Jerusalem, he destroyed the city, and he burned the temple. All this reminds me of what Numbers 14, 18 says. The Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, but he will by no means clear the guilty. The Lord's slow to anger. God's patient with, with all of us. He's filled with unfailing love. He forgives every kind of sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. God will forgive your sin if you come to him. But he'll by no means clear the guilty. The Bible teaches that there's a punishment for sin. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus Christ on the cross paid that price for you and for me. But if you refuse that payment on your behalf, the Bible says God will by no means clear the guilty. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 8, Then he said to his servants, The wedding's ready, but those who were invited weren't worthy. Therefore go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. God's initial invitation came to the Jewish people. After that, God's invitation was extended to the entire world. Go into the highways and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. Isn't that great? 
They didn't go out and say, well, we'll just find the good people and invite them to the wedding. They invited the bad and the good. Everyone was invited to God. Everyone was invited to come to God. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. One of my favorite wedding stories appeared in the Boston Globe a few years back. Accompanied by her fiancé, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston to order the meal for their wedding reception. They poured over the menu, made selections of china and silver, pointed to the pictures of flower arrangements they liked. They both had expensive taste, and the bill came to $13,000. After leaving a check for half that amount as a down payment, the couple went home to flip through books of wedding announcements. The day the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the potential groom got cold feet. Just not sure, he said. It's a big commitment. Let's think about this a little longer. When his angry fiancé returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, the events manager was very understanding. Same thing happened to me, honey, she said, and told the story of her own broken engagement. But about the refund, she had bad news. The contract's binding. You're only entitled to $1,300 back. You have two options. Forfeit the rest of the down payment or go ahead with the banquet. I'm sorry, really, I am. It seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a, a big blowout. Ten years before, the same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She'd gotten back on her feet, found a good job, and set aside a sizable nest egg. Now she had this wild notion of using her savings to treat the down-and-outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was that in June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party such as it had never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken, in honor of the groom, she said, and sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. That warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off cardboard boxes dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up by crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead ate chocolate wedding cake and danced to big band melodies late into the night. God invites everyone to his son. Young, old, rich, poor, good, bad, it doesn't matter. God invites everyone. But then in verse 11, we find a wedding crasher. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who didn't have on a wedding garment. When a royal wedding would take place, there was certain attire that you had to wear. Now, the good news was you didn't have to buy this attire. The king provided it for everyone. So he comes in and he sees a man and he's not in the wedding attire. He saw a man there who didn't have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Why wasn't this man wearing the required clothes? He had been invited to the banquet. Everyone had been invited to the banquet. Everyone was provided with the proper attire. So why wasn't he wearing it? 
because he thought what he was wearing was good enough. He, he didn't need what the king was offering to him. The book of Isaiah explains what Jesus is talking about here. Isaiah 64, all of us are unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Now, if our righteous deeds are filthy rags in God's sight, how can we ever be presentable in God's sight? Isaiah 61, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. See, it's God that clothes us with his righteousness. He has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. There's an old hymn that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And that hymn ends with these words, Dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. When you trust Christ as Savior, you're no longer trusting your good works to get you to heaven. You're trusting in Christ's righteousness. And the Bible says that then you're dressed in Christ's righteousness and you can appear before God's throne faultless because you're dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about here. If you try to enter into heaven dressed in your own righteousness by your own good works, you'll be cast out. But God made a way for you. The wedding robe in this parable is like salvation. It's available to all. It's absolutely free to you, provided by God the Father, by the King. And it's the only way anyone will ever enter heaven. What happens to the people who refuse God's invitation and try to get into heaven another way? Verse 13. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away. Cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The king gave invitation after invitation after invitation. He provided everything necessary. But those who reject his invitation and reject his son are ultimately cast out. Close with this story. Dr. Christensen was a professor of religion at a, at a small Midwestern university. The university used to be a Christian college, but it had gotten far away from its Christian roots. It really had only one distinctive feature from its early days as a Christian college. All incoming freshmen had to take a course in biblical Christianity. Most of the students that came in now had no interest whatsoever. They just showed up because they had to. They had to get this required credit. But they really cared nothing about Christianity. This pained Dr. Christensen's heart because he loved his students and he wanted them to, to come to Christ, but, but most of them cared nothing about it. One year, Dr. Christensen had a student named Steve in his class. Steve was a gifted athlete, but more importantly, Steve was a committed Christian. One day after class, Dr. Christensen asked him, he said, Steve, how many push-ups can you do? Steve said, well, I do 200 push-ups every night. 
Dr. Christensen said, do you think you could do 300 push-ups? Steve said, I, I don't know. I've never done 300 push-ups before. He said, do you, think you could, do you think you could do 30 sets of 10 push-ups? Steve said, I, I don't know, but I'd be willing to give it a try. So Dr. Christensen let him know what he had in mind. Steve said, you know what? I, I, I will do it. I will do it. And so then the next Friday when they showed up to class, it was the last day of the semester. And Dr. Christensen walked into the classroom and he had a huge box of donuts. Now, not these scrawny donuts, huge, delish, delicious, massive donuts like you get down at the farmer's market. He opened up the box of donuts and everybody in the class was excited. Man, we're going to have a party today. Those donuts look great. He looked at the first student in the first row, and he said, Amy, would you like a donut? Amy said, yes, absolutely. He said, he said the price of the donut is 10 push-ups. Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so that Amy can have a donut? Steve did 10 push-ups. Dr. Christensen put a donut on Amy's desk. He said, Joe, would you like a donut? Joe said, yeah, absolutely. Steve, would you do 10 push-ups? so that Joe can have a donut. Steve did 10 push-ups, and he put a, a donut there on, on a Joe's desk. Down the line he went, all through the front row, and Steve would do 10 push-ups for each student to provide them with a donut. He got to the second row, and, and there was Brad. Brad was also an athlete. He said, Brad, would you like a donut? Brad said, yeah, I'd like a donut, but I can do my own push-ups. Dr. Christensen said, no, if you want a donut, Steve's going to have to do the push-ups for you. Brad said, well, then I don't want a donut. He said, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so that Brad can have a donut that he doesn't want? Brad said, wait a minute. I said, I don't want a donut. Dr. Christensen said, look, this is my class, and we'll run it my way. And these are my donuts, and I'll do with them what I want. Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Brad can have a donut? that he doesn't want. He did the 10 push-ups. Dr. Christensen came over. He put the donut on Brad's desk. And he said, Brad, you can leave it here or, or you can eat it. It's up to you. But Steve has bought it. He's provided it for you. And down the second row he went. When he got to the end of the second row, Steve was starting to shake as he was doing the push-ups. It looked like it was going to be a little too much for him. He got to the third row. He said, Jenny, would you like a donut? Well, she was concerned about all that Steve had to do. And she said, no, I don't want a donut. She was angry. Dr. Christensen said, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Jenny can have a donut that she doesn't want? And Steve did 10 more push-ups. And as he went down the third row, more and more of the students there said no. They didn't want the donut. And so there were more and more uneaten donuts sitting on each and every desk. When he got to the fourth row, some people outside of the classroom came in. They were wondering what was going on. And they started to sit against the side walls. Dr. Christensen took a quick count. Now he counted 34 students in his classroom. To provide donuts for everyone, Steve was going to have to do 340 push-ups. A student by the name of Jason got to the doorway and he started to walk in. Everybody said, no, 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 don't come in the room. Steve looked at him and he said, no, no, let him come in. 
said, if Steve comes in the room, you know you're going to have to do, if Jason comes in the room, you know you're going to have to do 10 push-ups for him, right, Steve? Steve said, I know. Let him come in. And he did 10 push-ups, and Jason got a donut. And he went all the way down the fourth row, and, and Steve was visibly struggling at this time. And then finally he came to the last two students. He said, Linda, would you like a donut? Linda said, no, I don't want a donut. Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Linda can have a donut that she doesn't want? And Steve did 10 push-ups, barely making it through. He came to the last student, and he said, Susan, would you like a donut? And she said, I, I would, but why can't I help him? Dr. Christensen said, no, Steve has to do it alone. I've given him this task, and he's in charge of seeing that everyone has an opportunity for a donut, whether they want it or not. When I decided to have a party this last day of class, I looked at my grade book. Steve's the only student with a perfect grade. Everyone else has failed a test, skipped class, or offered me inferior work. Steve told me that in football practice, when a player messes up, he has to do push-ups. I told Steve that none of you could come to my party unless he paid the price by doing your push-ups. He and I made a deal for your sakes. Steve? Would you do 10 push-ups so Susan can have a donut? Steve slowly finished, and when he finished the last push-up, his arms just collapsed, and he fell down on the floor. And Dr. Christensen looked around the room, and he said, Jesus Christ died on the cross to provide a gift for you, but it's up to you whether you receive it or you reject it. My encouragement to you this morning is this. If you've never accepted God's invitation, I encourage you to do so today. Jesus Christ loves you so much that he died on the cross for your sin and in your place. He provides salvation for you. All you have to do is come to him. Believe in him and put your trust in him and him alone for the forgiveness of your sins. We can't come dressed in our own righteousness. All of our good works are like filthy rags in God's sight. We all fall short. But Jesus Christ on the cross died for your sins. He lived a perfect sinless life. And if you put your trust in him and in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins... According to God's promise, you'll have eternal life. And if you have accepted God's invitation, I want to encourage you, follow the directions God gave to his servants. Go into the highways, and as many as you find bad and good, invite them to the wedding. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we live in uncertain times. We're surrounded by people who need this good news of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for all of us that know you as Savior. I pray that we would be open to showing love and kindness to all around us. 
Most especially, Lord, I pray that we'd be open to share the good news that you've given an open invitation to all to come to Jesus Christ. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.